Hi, my name is Amanda, and I am a Covenant member here at The Well, and I am part of the Northeast CG. <laughs> and I also serve as our mission liaison for that group. <laughs> and today I will be reading from 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, and 17 through 22. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud, boast of folly. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is in. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is an enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is the word of the Lord. After a scripture like that, it's like, that's fun, huh? How do you break that tension? You don't, all right? So uh, welcome to the well. Uh, my name is Tori. If you uh, are new and you do not like the sermon today, you can email me at anthony at thewellaustin.com, all right? Uh, it's A-N-T-H. I'm just kidding. Um, hey, obviously, this is a, a heavy text, and we have a lot of work to do. So I want to dive right into it uh, this afternoon and really uh, wrestle through what Peter is saying here. Um, I want to start off with an honest confession, though. Um, I don't think that I've ever worked harder on a sermon before in my life. Um, now, don't be expecting this to be the best sermon ever. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Um, but I've never felt as much weight coming into a text as I have this week, and I've also never felt as much inadequacy to communicate what I believe the Scripture is saying as I have this week. Um, it's an extremely heavy sermon for me, honestly, because uh, when I say I love you all at the end of the sermons, I deeply mean that. Um, I had a pastor once say, man, do you ever get tired of saying that? And I was like, do you ever get tired of telling your wife and your daughter you love them? Like, I sure hope not. Um, and I love you all. And what we're hitting on today is a lot. We're talking about deconstruction. Uh, we're talking about false teaching. We're talking about people leaving and falling away from the faith and there's just a lot. And what I desperately want for you all is your joy in Christ. And so I want you to take the kingdom of God seriously. 
And so I'm praying that in the midst of all of this text today that uh, God would take these human words and would actually do divine things through them in our souls, that we would feel the weight of the Lord upon us, and that what is true of this text today uh, would not be true of us, that we would not be false teachers or those who fall away because of them. Um, It's scary because I take the words of God seriously. I believe that this is the word of God. That the Bible is God speaking to us, and to disobey it or not follow it is to reject God's authority in our life. And I want to communicate this clearly, and I want you to take these words seriously as well. And so, let's journey together today, cool? All right, this text is heavy, so I'm just going to let it be. So, it starts off, Peter begins with the word, but, okay? And so, contrary to what we talked about last week is what he's saying there, And if you didn't catch the sermon last week, I would encourage you to because it will make this message make uh, way more sense. But we looked at the importance of the scriptures and what they mean for our lives and that the scriptures are superior to our experiences, to our human kind of discreditation of them or even to human abuse. The scriptures should be cherished because they point us to the cherished one. Peter says, but this is not true of everyone. They do not behold the scriptures the way that we do. Some people are not only apathetic to the scriptures, they're actually adversaries or antagonists. They are attackers of them. These false teachers don't just disregard the Bible. They destroy its message and will bring you into that destruction with them. Notice Peter says that there will be false teachers amongst us. And so we have to be on guard there. So long as there is sin and Satan in the world, there will be people who misuse the Bible and try to get you to journey into that chaos with them. Notice that these false teachers also aren't like the boogeymen out there, right? It says that they are among you, even a part of you, that they are in the well right now. And Peter says that, he will go on to say that, man, they look like us, they talk like us, they sound like us, they are believers like us. And so it ain't just some random atheist that hates Jesus, it is the Christian who proclaims Jesus but doesn't follow scripture that's actually the bigger threat. In verses 12 through 14, Peter says that they're taking communion with you, they're they're, they're feasting with you. And these false teachers, they're not saying these loud, brandish, easy-to-spot things. Look at the word there. They're secretly bringing in destructive teaching. This means that it's tricky. It's hard to spot. It's, It's subtle in that sense. Not all false teaching is clear gospel rejection. In fact, these people are proclaiming faith in Christ, verses 21 and 21 will tell us. And so they're saying many of the right things, but then they're subtly undermining the truth of the gospel and they're bringing destruction as a result. Notice there it says that there's destructive heresies. So this isn't just wrong interpretation of theological principles, which is harmless or, or has some minute air in their theology. No, they're doing things and saying things that will make you and I slowly but surely throw away the faith. And so this is serious, and it might not be loud and, and blatantly clear what they are saying, but the death by a thousand cuts hurts a lot, and we still lose our faith in the end. And so subtle teaching can create aggressive damage for individuals. We must be careful of that. 
What I'm saying is it's easy to kind of say something of people who proclaim false truths about Christ. Like, well, they have good hearts, right? They, they, they mean well, you know? Like, they're not saying anything intentionally to cause harm, but we have to understand that false teaching brings destruction. Heresy is not harmless. It will cause damage to our souls. Now, outlandish and false teaching is very easy to spot, and very few of us are going to fall victim to it because it's outlandish. It's wild, but most false teaching is secret. It's sly. It's subtle. False teaching is often not like an atomic bomb that destroys a bunch of things, and the evidence of it is clear for miles and miles and miles. False teaching is more like cancer or like poison. You often don't realize it's there until it's too late. Family, hear hear me in this. False teaching, and you're listening to and following this, brings cancer into your soul that you often do not detect until it is too late and you are spiritually dead. That's why Peter says, even denying the master. You see that there in verse 2? It didn't start with the rejection of Jesus. It started with questioning the authority of scriptures, like last week. Or questioning Christian practices and, and why we follow in that way. Or, or simple statements like, well, you don't really got to go to church to be a believer, even though the entire New Testament says that's not true. And it's these subtle things that all of a sudden make us punt our faith. Can I say something kind of sobering here, as if this isn't already sobering enough? Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, and chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. 2 Timothy, Jude 4, Matthew, Acts, 2 Timothy. And I got tired of looking up passages. All talk about false teachers. And so over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, Jesus and Paul and Jude and James and John and Peter and whoever wrote Hebrews all tells us that there will be false teachers, that this is going to be an issue. And so you and I would be foolish not to at least perk our ears a little bit this afternoon and realize that we're susceptible to falling into this sin. We're susceptible to listening to false teachers and family being false teachers ourselves. Even if we're not teaching the world, even if we just lead one person astray, Jesus takes that seriously. Many will follow, is what it says here. And so this isn't some backwoods, backwater Christianity that's absurd to most people. No, that's not what he's saying here. It's likely things that are popular, that are easy to accept, because they're close enough to the truth to seem like they're right, but they're far enough away from the truth to lead us into the kingdom of Satan rather than the kingdom of God. We may think that we're not prone to slip in this, but many will follow, and when the Bible says many, you got to assume that you're usually a part of the many, y'all. In fact, even in the midst of this, it says that they lead them into sensuality, is what the word is there. How do we spot false teaching? Well, it's often sensual in nature, meaning what feels good. It's easy to digest. It is palatable. And so you care more about what is good for me than you do about glorifying God. And so if it honors my truth or my lifestyle or my philosophy or my desires, then we are quicker to accept it and we will fall into false teaching. Are you sure you're not falling into this family of God? 
I find myself falling into it often in different ways. And we'd be foolish not to think that we have an easier time following what feels good rather than what is good. And that's what they're leading them into. It is in greed that they teach this is what it says. And so doctrine like the American gospel gets interjected into our Christianity so as to pursue our comforts over our sanctification because it suits me. And so we can throw away suffering even though every New Testament book talks about it because really we want to be comfortable. We really want a version of Christianity that fits with our philosophy. We're following ourselves rather than God. It's so easy to do this, not realizing that this subtle acceptance will eventually lead to us totally rejecting biblical Christianity. Once again, y'all, we'd be foolish not to think that we're shielded from these things in that way. The explosion of television and radio and podcasts and YouTube and social media and the internet and news sources and blogs and all other forms of mass media make heretical teaching more easily acceptable and more widely and quickly received and then spewed. We've all shared stuff that looking back we might realize, whoa, that guy was a false teacher. And if we're honest, most of us, a la our sermon last week, are more biblically illiterate than we desire, and so then we can't readily discern the voice of God, and so we're confused if somebody's teaching is the voice of God or the voice of Satan masquerading as an angel of light. Are you sure you're not on the path to the wrong kingdom, family? Now, beloved, here's the the crazy trick in the midst of all of this, and here's where we begin to try to apply this and, and make it a little bit personal today. Peter spends the next 13 verses laying out who these false teachers are and, and what they're doing and what they're talking about and the danger of them, and we're not going to cover this extensively today. You could do this in CGs or personally, but there's something profound to me here that he does in verses 4 through 16 that brings this kind of extremely important uh, weight to what he is saying today. Every single commentary that I read, minus one, started talking about false teaching theologically or doctrinally. Orthodoxy is what we would call that, thinking the right thoughts about God, which makes sense. When we think about teaching, we think philosophy, right, or, or talking or doctrine. But these teachers don't seem to be that far off theologically, Notice it was the master who bought them, is what the text says. They're among the church, we see in this passage. They're eating with them. They're in community groups with the church. They've been baptized because they're taking communion. And in that culture, in order to take communion, you had to be baptized first to prove you were a true believer in Christ. So they've been baptized or taken communion. They have the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, escaping the defilements of the world, which if you read in chapter 1 is the exact same language that Peter uses for us as Christians. They are theologically accurate. They believe in the Master and the Savior. They've made him not just Savior but also Lord of their life. And so what makes them a false teacher? Well, it's mainly their actions. It is not their orthodoxy, it's their orthopraxy, what they are practicing. So when we think about false teaching, we often think about like teacher, like professor. Like I tell you something theoretical and you learn to apply that. But in this culture, when they thought teacher, they thought rabbi, which means you come and follow me and you do the same things that I do. 
And so their teaching is dangerous because it isn't really in word, but it is in deed, and they're bringing other people into those deeds with them. Okay, are y'all feeling that then? Because not many of us would get up on stage and preach, but that's not where the danger is. The danger is how you live your life. And other people following that with you. Now, it's not like they're completely silent, okay? You can look at verse 12. They are saying things, but for the most part, they're adulterers, he says. They desire sin. They are, they are greedy for unjust gain. It says in verse 14, and that family of God is what is dangerous, Peter Davids, who is a commentator and a scholar, he says this. He says, Christianity is not so much a set of prepositional truths to be believed as a way of life to be lived. That is, an apprenticing of oneself to Jesus as one's master. And so from this point forward, I want to do something that is impossible, Uh, I want to walk the razor blade thin line of hoping to heal some of you who have been impacted by different forms of false teaching that happens throughout American Christianity on a regular basis, while also encouraging each of us to watch out for our own false teaching that we would not fall victim to others' teaching or that we would not become false teachers ourselves. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We live in an age of deconstruction, and when I look at this passage, I'm like, dog, I understand why. There's a lot of people in American evangelicalism that talk a good game. They are eating and communing with us, but their walks are all out of line. I mean, just this week, right, Brian Houston, who was the founder of Hillsong, the pastor of the music that we like to listen to and sing, and and Hillsong's all around just step down for moral failure because of different things in his life and anxieties that he didn't take to the Lord but took on himself. He found himself in uh, moral situations that were questionable at best, sinful, really, if we're honest, with women. And the interesting thing in the midst of this is that this is just months after he publicly reprimanded his New York City pastor, Carl Lentz, for his wicked, irrational, and sin-filled lifestyle. And we could spend the rest of the sermon today going through the public examples of the Mark Driscolls of the world or the Jerry Falwells of the world and private examples of false teachers that proclaim Christ in their sermons, but they live like tyrants in private. Shoot, sometimes they live like tyrants in public. And this hurts and it's confusing and it leads people astray, is what Peter says. That's why Peter is passionate about this. If you read the language in verses 4 through 16, Peter sounds like a a verbal MMA fighter because he's so angry. He's a pastor at heart who shepherds and who loves his people. And these types of people are causing his people to fall away from the Lord. Any pastor who's not angry at that is not a pastor. Any pastor who ain't angry at that ain't a pastor. Imagine you being a father or a mother and somebody is wounding your son or your daughter and causing them to to, to live reckless, crazy lifestyles that will end them in hell. For you not to get angry at that, you're not a good dad or mom, straight up. And so Peter's angry because he's a good pastor. He doesn't want his people to fall away. Now, don't mishear me in this, okay? I'm not saying that leaders can't make mistakes. We all have sin. 
and when brought to light should be repented of and confessed. And there is grace for this in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what makes these teachers dangerous is that they have sin that is often covered up for a long period of time or even celebrated even by the church of God at times, y'all. That's wild to me. Lord, please deliver us from this. Notice in verse 14, it says that they entice unsteady souls. These are people who are not as rooted in their Christianity. Maybe because they're new to the faith or maybe because they're not very mature in the faith because they didn't take Peter's advice from chapter 1 and grow deeper in their knowledge of Jesus. So they're kind of unsteady in their soul. And if we're honest, many of us have unsteady souls. We're not as deep in Christ as we know that we ought to be. Therefore, we can easily follow these teachers into their materialistic greed or their adulterated indulgences. And this can shipwreck not just our faith, but the faith of others around us if we're not careful, family. This is serious. So there are many people with all of this church hurt that end up punting the faith, because of these type of false teachers that Peter is talking about in this chapter. I was looking up some stats this week. 66% of young adults who grew up in church as teenagers do not now attend church as young adults. Now, undoubtedly, not all of this is because of church hurt. But the biggest reason when they are asked is because they believe the church is hypocritical. The church says one thing and they do something totally different. Therefore, they don't want to follow the faith. That's what Peter's talking about here. In 1985... 67% of American uh, citizens trusted clergy, that's pastors, staff team members, etc. A couple of years ago, that number dropped all the way down to 37%. False prophets that are false clergy that lead to people rejecting the faith. Uh, A quick personal aside in the midst of this. Do you know who's being impacted most by this, the, the punting of the faith? Minorities. Minorities are fleeing the faith left and right. Why? Well, a lot of people that have begun the process of deconstruction have begun deconstructing for the right reasons. They just went too far with it. What we saw during the Trump era is that you couldn't tell if people were followers of Jesus or followers of Donald Trump. If they wanted the kingdom of God to expand or they wanted the kingdom of America to reign. And so people saw the church as the religious arm of the Republican Party got confused about that and bounced. They were hurt because there was a confession of Christ in the public, but then a celebration of a sinful, debaucherous human man in private that left them wondering what this Christian thing was all about. And they left. And that makes me want to die and do inappropriate things on the stage right now. False teachers, or at least false teaching, is picking off unsteady souls. Now, can we be real, though, in the midst of this? Some who deconstructed, they debase the conservative white evangelicalism, and they're like, oh, Donald Trump. And then all they did was just swing to white liberalism, which is the same thing, minority or young person. It's the same false teaching, that ends up rejecting Christianity to follow something else other than God. Come on, y'all, what are we doing? But, according to this text, it makes sense why people are doing that. Because when you say one thing but then begin to live in a different way, it leads people away from the faith. 
Peter said that this is the very thing that would happen when people professed faith in Christ but then live different than him. Y'all feel where I'm at right now? Listen, if you're white, you voted for Trump, don't, don't mishear language here. That's whatever. That's another sermon. Go listen to the politics sermon if you want more on that. That's an okay thing. What I'm saying is when you profess one thing and live differently, not calling a spade a spade. Others, though, that have left Christianity, they said it was church hurt, but can we keep it a buck? It was just an excuse for them to go live however they wanted to. Because they didn't really want to submit to the lordship of Christ ever, so they're just like the false teachers too. And so now they're living lives that are entirely contrary to the gospel, saying it's church hurt, but in reality, they just never really wanted to pursue Christ. And there's real church hurt, so don't mishear me. Hear the balance I'm walking through in the midst of this. But the new philosophy that they've adopted is contrary to the scriptures as well, therefore doing the exact same things that they're accusing the false teachers of doing. Family, I am so burdened by this. Like, just as much as that church did not put Christ on the throne but a president, your religious system doesn't put Christ on the throne either. And so what is that? It's trash. The same trash that made you fall away from the faith in the first place. Anything that does not put Jesus Christ on the throne is a cancer to your soul that will consume your vitality, family. I mean, even through this text, y'all, right, we see these false teachers. What do they do? They reject submission to healthy authority. Why? Because Satan thrives when you're in isolation. Every New Testament book makes it abundantly clear that you cannot live out your Christianity in private. You cannot say you love Jesus and hate his wife. He is one with her. But we're tempted to construct our faith solo. But the irony is the very place we need to be is the church. And so I get it, y'all. It's confusing, right? It's like if the church is the one hurting people, but then we need the church, it leaves some people like, well, what the heck do I do then? Family, what you do is find a good church and freaking worship God when you are there because of his provision for you. That's what you do. And fight for community while you are there. And fight to make sure that that church continues on the path of faith, not to be somebody in the background that's yelling out, this church is dumb, like you're Satan, because that's what Satan does. But get up in the midst of it and beautify the bride along with us. That's what you do. And so it doesn't have to be here, as I always say, but find some church that preaches the gospel of our King Jesus and, man, dive in, y'all. That's what you do. Once again, though, deconstruction makes sense to me, y'all, because false teaching is dangerous and it's destructive and it ruins the community and it ruins people's very faith. Look again at verse 2. Put it back on the screen. The true gospel is now blasphemed, it says, or not followed. Why? Because of the Mark Driscoll's of the world or the fill-in-the-blanks of the world. It maligns the gospel and the true Christian church. You ever had food poisoning from a restaurant? I don't care how bomb they food is, y'all. Once you get food poisoning, it's over. You ain't never eating there again, right? Uh, false teachers, they food poison the gospel for some because they're associating their teaching with the church and with Christ. I want to tell you, if you have a foul taste in your mouth for the church, it probably wasn't the restaurant, it was the chef. It was the leader. It isn't the message or the church of God, it's the pastor, the leader, the shepherd, the, the person that you esteemed highly. 
So don't throw away the gospel because somebody ain't know how to cook food, y'all. Right? Make sure that you find a good cook. And make sure you're a good cook, too, so that you don't poison yourself or others in the process. And make sure when you find a good chef who's feeding you vegetables and you just don't like the taste of them, Make sure you don't leave that restaurant and call it food poisoning. <laughs> Listen, verse 17 through 19, it's rich. We don't have time for it today, okay? But please go over those in community groups. I'm going to skip over that part, okay? But they're really, really powerful. Go over them in CGs. You, you, it'll make sense, okay? It's powerful. But here's the danger in all of this, family, and why this was so doggone burdensome to me throughout this week. It's why I physically cried multiple times when processing this and writing this. It's because of how this text ends. These false teachers, be it pastors or people who punt the faith or people whose lifestyle is devoid of the gospel, they're not saved. That's how this ends. Now listen, y'all, I cried multiple times when writing this because I don't really know what this means. I'm a security in Christ guy, okay? I think there are passages that are beautifully layered for the believer. The Spirit sealing us until redemption. Those whom he called, he also justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. But this passage is terrifying. And there are many passages that are just like this one, by the way. Because it looks like these people were Christians. In fact, Peter is proclaiming, at least theologically, they are. And they're not going to enter the kingdom of God with us. Their new state is worse than when they were non-Christians. I don't know what that means, but that is absurdly weighty, y'all. And I would hate to get up here and give you some false sense of security when in reality you are hell-bent. Because you haven't added to your faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and brotherly affection and love like Peter told us to do in chapter 1. The picture in verse 20 that would have conjured up in the Greek mind, he's using this language that would have conjured up a story. It's of a person who escapes a giant spider web, but then he goes right back into it, thinking that he can handle it that time, only to then be consumed by the spider or the snake, Satan. And Jesus Christ himself said, it is better for me to have a 250-pound boulder tied around my neck for me to be tossed into a lake and drown and suffocate and die than it is for me to get up here and say false things to you. So I don't want to do that. These people, verse 2, 14, 20, 21, they look like they're believers. They ain't just professing Jesus as Savior. He is Savior and Lord to them, the master who bought them. He is amongst them. They have professed faith. They have been baptized. They are taking communion. They are doing all the Christian things, and they're lost. Now, maybe they were never really saved to begin with. Maybe there was, I don't know. I don't even care about that right now, y'all. Different topic for a different day. What I'm saying is that some of these pastors are going to say to Jesus on that great day, Lord, meaning they know his name and his function in their life, that he's the savior of the world. Lord, did we not do many miracles and cast out demons? As Jesus' words, Matthew 7. Did I not preach sermons and, and build a church and, and, and serve in the church? And, and Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. 
And many Christians are going to creedily say the right things, but then end up separated from God because they do not really see God as God. They see God as an accessory. And many people will follow these false teachers and will allow these hypocritical men and women to taint their view of Christianity and end up apart from God as well. They won't pursue the real faith with those who are desperately seeking Jesus together. And they'll follow false teachers into destruction because they will deconstruct not just what is filthy, but what is right and good and true and that will lead them away from the faith in the end. Y'all, my God. Listen to the text here. This faith is so beautiful, but it also ain't a game, y'all. And God in heaven is gracious, but he is also a holy king to be followed, family. Yeah. Man, follow Jesus, y'all. All the time. The, The true Jesus. I'm running out of time, and I'm a little bit all over the place right now. So let me say this. If you're a false teacher, by your words and by your deeds, stop that stuff. (laughs) About to get me fired up here. Stop, y'all. You're leading others away from Jesus. That stuff ain't no joke. By your words and by your deeds... You are leading other people away from Jesus, and you may be away from Jesus yourself. If you have been wounded by a false teacher, don't swing to the other side and now punt the true teacher because of how one false one portrayed him and end up in the same camp that they are. And if you're like, dog, am I a false teacher? (laughs) Right? Like, am, am I following false teaching? Am I, I want to come for you. Christ will never, ever Ever, ever, never, 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 ever cast away those who come to him humbly. Ever, family of God. Don't mishear the harshness of this chapter and miss the comfort of the scripture that says, those who come to Christ, he embraces, family of God. He will embrace you. He forgives even your false teaching. Because ultimately, at some level, we're all false teachers, saying with our lives what we don't theologically believe in our minds. And there's hope for false teachers because Jesus was the perfect teacher, family of God, both in words and in action, yet he was murdered and condemned as a false prophet. That's why they killed Jesus, because they said he's teaching false things. Though he was the very word of God and taught everything that God had ever did in his actions and in his speech to perfection. Why? So that you and I who live in air and who live in unrighteousness might receive a savior from our soul if we would but come to him. Family of God, please do not leave Jesus. Do not leave Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can save. Family, I grew up and got saved in a heretical false teaching church. 
They did not theologically teach any sort of true doctrine, and yet God and his grace drew me. And if I looked at that church and said, my pastor drives eight cars that are all over $100,000. He is a heretic, therefore I'm punting Jesus. I am telling you I would be in the same place that he is. And I have been in the church that has wounded me because of my culture or my person. And I've seen all of the ugliness in American Christianity. And, and I've worked in it. And, I, and I've been around it. And, I, and I've heard it. And, I, and I've been discipled in the midst of it. And that did not make me punt Jesus just because there were some things that were off. Family of God, do not leave Jesus. Don't leave Jesus. Jesus is the only one that is worthy. And so if you've been hurt, man, work on forgiveness and, and go between you and the Lord. All I'm telling you today is don't leave Jesus. There's other stuff to do. I'm about that. Go to counseling. I wish I could talk to all of y'all one-on-one. All I'm saying today is don't leave Jesus. He is the only one that is worthy. He is the only one that can save. If anything is exalted other than Christ, reject that joint and go back to Jesus, family of God. Jesus forever, family. That's what we should always be about. I pray that you receive the healing because Jesus is the true teacher, the logos of God. I pray you would not be a false teacher, and where you are, man, you would shut your mouth and stop your hands so you don't lead others astray as well. Would we forever be about Jesus, y'all? I love you guys tremendously. Thanks for journeying with me today. Let's pray. Ma'am, um, God, sometimes praying is better than saying. And so rather than me pray, God, I pray that we would pray to you right now. And Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. And for some of us, we would receive healing that we need. For some of us, we'd receive conviction that we need. For some of us, we'd feel comforted because we realize, man, I said something wrong last week. And we would see, man, there's grace when we come to you. So, Spirit of God, I pray you would speak to us even right now.
Jesus, would you bring healing where needed? Would you bring comfort where needed? Would you bring conviction where needed? We take our faith seriously, Christ. Amen. And we're going to move into communion. Um, and I hope this is a special communion for you. Listen, Jesus was condemned as a false teacher. But what did he teach us? He said, hey, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. And this cup is the blood that was poured out for you. Do this. As you do this, you, you remember me. This is poured out for the forgiveness of sins, is what he says. It'd be easy to condemn somebody else and not realize we need a savior too. Our church has false taught probably in different ways with our lives. We need a savior. And so I pray as you take communion, as we close in worship, I pray that this last worship song, this communion moment, that it would actually be a prayer to your soul. That you would hear the words of Jesus and the comfort of Jesus, that you would feel the conviction of Jesus, that you would recognize it is only Jesus, family. He's the only one that matters. He's the only name that should be exalted in our church, in our hearts, in our mouths, in our life. Let us forever be about Jesus. I love you all tremendously.